0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Esther chapter 9. You turn there in your Bibles to Esther chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. If you raise your hand right now, they'll bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout our service. Esther chapter 9. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Before we read, let's just look back at chapter 7 and 8 in way of review. In chapter 7, Esther makes her plea, her request and her plea to the king that her people be spared and be saved from the edict that the king had signed into law that Haman had wickedly guided the king into signing Haman is outed and hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai in chapter 8 Esther is given Haman's house and sets Mordecai over it Mordecai is revealed to King Ahasuerus In his relationship to Esther, he is exalted and he receives the king's signet ring. Esther asks the king to revoke Haman's edict that was signed by the king, but the king cannot revoke it. And So there's a dilemma. There's a problem. That edict cannot be revoked, so what needs to be done? Well, Mordecai with the king's signet ring now has the authority and is given that authority by the king to write a new law, a new edict, and that is signed by the king and it allows the Jews to defend themselves on the 12th month and the 13th day, the very same month and day that the first edict had announced that they would perish and they would be put to death. The Jews rejoice over this new edict that is signed, and Mordecai is exalted. Now, let's read chapter 9. Now, in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, On the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples all the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them for Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword Killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Parshandatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Paratha, and Adilia, and Arid- Aridatha, and Parmashtha and Ar- Arasai, and Aradai, and Vazzatha the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman, What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and on the fourteenth day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the thirteenth day and on the fourteenth day and rested on the fifteenth day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same, Year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make the days of feasting and gladness days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do. And what Mordecai had written to them, for Haman the Agagite, the son of Amadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and cast pure, that is, cast lots to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term poor. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then, then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abahel, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fast and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim as it was recorded in writing. And God give us understanding. This portion of Scripture that we read today, we'll be preaching from this morning. I pray that you'll see how this reveals the purpose and plan of God, not just for His people, the Jews then, but for His people, the Church today, of which. We are a part if we, in fact, trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. They open our eyes to help us see this significance and help us to see, to have us rejoice in the salvation that God has provided for us and what that really means. Let's bow now for a time of prayer. After our prayer, our choir is going to come with a special music before the preaching of God's Word. Thank you, Father, for this gathering today of your people. And we pray for those who are not able to be here today, especially because of sickness. We pray for Sister Lola Spears and her condition, that you would just be with her comfort and encourage her heart. We, we also pray for Mrs. Minnie, that you would bless and be with her, that you would help her in her physical condition, her sickness, Lord, that you would give comfort and encouragement to her both physically in her body and spiritually in her, her mind, in her, her spirit, that she might be encouraged in you, knowing Lord, that you are an awesome God, that your plan and your, your purpose for her is perfect, and that you can take her through all that, that you would have her to go through. Pray for my dad as well, Lord, in his spiritual um, excuse me, in his physical condition that you would watch over and bless him, spiritually that you would encourage his heart as well. We know, Lord, those who go through um, hardships physically oftentimes can uh, be uh, discouraged or weak in their spirits. So we pray that you would encourage them. Use the saints of your people here to give a call, to give a note, to stop by, and to encourage these individuals in their walk with you and in trusting in God. We pray that their testimony might be sure, might be sound, so that family members who don't know Christ can see even though that they suffer they love you trust you and walk with you faithfully we pray that that might be an encouragement to our hearts as well bless the preaching of your word today open our eyes to see your truth and to be motivated to live in faithfulness to you in jesus name we pray amen please be seated I've enjoyed reading through and preaching this story of Esther. It's a true account of scripture. And it begs the question we ought to be asking is, what does this say to us today? And what is God sharing? Why is he sharing this with us? What does this tell us about about God's plan, about his purpose And how should it excite us, challenge us, and motivate us today, right now, here at Sweet Communion, here at 2019, here in Milwaukee, right where we are? review of the timeline that we're looking at is actually a short period of time that these events happened. The first month of the year on the 13th day, Haman had had the king sign an edict that called for the destruction, the annihilation, the killing of every single Jew throughout all the 127 provinces that King Ahasuerus was king over. This edict was to take place. It was signed on the first month, 13th day. It was to be done all in one day on the 12th month of that same year on the 13th day. Signed on the first month. The next thing in our timeline is the third month on the 23rd day. By the third month on the 23rd day, we see that Haman who had the king sign this edict, had been killed. He had been destroyed. He had been hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai, who he hated. And Mordecai was the reason why he hated all the Jews, because he found out that Mordecai was a Jew. But on this third month, on the 23rd day, now... Mordecai, who was a lowly servant, has been placed in a position, given the king's signet ring, and he signs into law the second edict. The first edict said on the twelfth month, on the thirteenth day, all the Jews would be destroyed and all their stuff would come into the the coffers of the state. They would become King Ahasuerus' possession. But on the third month, the 23rd day, the second edict was signed by Mordecai saying that, yes, on the 12th month, the 13th day, we acknowledge that that first edict is signed, but we signed the second edict saying that Jews can fully defend themselves against any and all enemies who will come out against them. We know that last week how this signing showed us God's thorough salvation for us. That it's not just the destruction of the enemy that's needed, but a, a, something has to take place that gives the sinner forgiveness of their sin, remove the threat of the enemy, but also brings them or reconciles them back to God And brings them at peace with God. So destroying the enemy is just one part of that equation. They had to be brought in peace with God. And we realize how it is the blood of Jesus and only his dying on the cross that provides that. So Esther gives us that blueprint of what God is doing in salvation to to deliver his people by destroying their enemy and then reuniting them to himself. In chapter 9, what we see, in chapter 8, there's great rejoicing because the edict has been signed. But now what we see is, is, is what I call the, the follow-through, victory. And I'll actually call it, yes, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The follow-through, the victory. What happens in chapter 9 is the 12th month and the 13th day arrive. They're here. And let's see what happens. I love this because the Bible doesn't just tell us what God is going to do and just give us that hope that he's going to do it. But here in the story of Esther, we see that the, the event takes place. It actually happens. It's Not just A thought, a hope, or a promise is something that happens. Look at the very first words. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out. That's the first edict he signed through Haman. On the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. That's like, boom! (laughs) <laughs> that's like the, 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 the point of the whole account. The reverse occurred. When the enemies thought that they would be able to destroy the Jews, instead of destroying them, they themselves were destroyed. This is a picture of the salvation that God provides to those who trust in him. Satan would love to destroy God's creation, all of it. And his attempt to destroy that failed, and God used his very attempt to destroy him. How does that happen? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that if Satan had known of God's plan, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Satan thought the Old Testament promises that this Jesus, the Savior of God's people, will be born. So from the time Jesus came to earth, Satan sought to destroy him. You know, in the story of of Jesus' birth, we hear of Herod who says, aha, yeah, I want to worship this king too. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. And so he set out to kill all the babies in the whole area of Bethlehem that were two years old or younger so that he might destroy Jesus, but he could not destroy Jesus. God wouldn't allow it. God protected his son so that he would be uh, unharmed and he would grow up to be the savior that God intended for him to be. He jumped now later in Jesus' life. He's an adult. He's 33 years old. And God has prepared him for what his plan was. But Satan thinks, I am going to destroy him before he's able to take charge of God's people. I'm going to put him to death. I'm going to incite a mob. I'm going to incite the religious community to hatred. And I'm going to have him crucified. And I'm going to destroy him. And Satan, so Satan's plan went into effect. He, in fact, accused Jesus of false charges. He incited the mob against him. They would not rest until he was crucified. Let me tell you how this works in God's plan. Back in the Old Testament, God said that to pay for sin, an innocent sacrifice had to be made. All the way back from Genesis, when when Adam and Eve sinned, some sacrifice had to be made. They were in the garden. They had sinned. They tried to clothe themselves with with clothing because they realized they were naked. They realized something was wrong. So they tried to take care of it themselves. And God says, that's not going to do. The fig leaves that you have sewn together to cover yourself, to make clothing for is not adequate. He says, I'm going to prepare a a, a sacrifice, and he prepared a blood sacrifice. An animal, who had done no wrong, was killed. The blood of that animal was, was the sacrifice for Adam and Eve to pay for their sins. So back from the first human beings, God has showed forth his plan to redeem to pay for sin by the blood sacrifice of an inno- innocent one who would give his life at that sacrifice that was simply the picture of what Jesus was going to do in fact as Jesus came in the scene came on the scene as he began his ministry, God used the prophet called John the Baptist to proclaim he says this is Jesus. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. By making that pronouncement, he was showing God's plan that this Lamb was an innocent sacrifice that was going to die on behalf of all those who would trust in him and thereby paying for their sin. Now, somehow... This escapes the mind of Satan. Aren't you amazed at how that happens, how how we can see it so clearly now, but Satan, as it's going through, even though it's written all the way through Scripture, you can look at Isaiah 53, and the Bible says that this Savior is going to to be bruised, he's going to be killed, he's going to give his life for his people. You would think, hey, Satan, Satan can read just like me and you, right? He's very wise. He's very intelligent, I should say. Uh, There's a difference between wisdom and intelligence. He's very intelligent. He knows a lot of truth. But he did not realize God's plan, and he could not even, if he had realized, stop it. I like what God does. God says what he's going to do and does it. No one can stop it. And so Satan thought to destroy this Savior, this Christ, this Holy One who was sent to be God's Savior for mankind. And the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ is what provides our salvation. God used the death of his Son to destroy man's enemy, and provide uh, the, the payment so that man, sinful men who trust in Jesus could be brought back in right relationship with God the Father. So when it says in Esther chapter 9, verse 1, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. We can see very clearly in this story that there is some symbolism that God wants us to know and wants us to understand. The first one is very clear, and that who's Haman, Haman symbolizes. He's he's called the enemy of the Jews. The Jews are God's people. And so the enemy of, of God's people, he symbolizes Satan himself. He's a picture. He's put in this story to help us understand truths about who Satan is and what he does, and about how he will or will not be successful. (laughs) So think about that as you go through the story. But there's another picture that we gain here, and it's the picture of God's plan and his purpose and his person. His plan is to redeem his people. So he's going to provide that, And he's going to use a person to bring that about. Let's take a look in in verses 1, verses 2 through 4, what happens here. It says, the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. You know what lay hands mean, right? (laughs) Grab them and beat them and kill them and destroy them. That's what it means. See, some people don't think that that's any part of God's plan. They're just ignorant of God's plan. They just don't know what God is doing. They don't realize to combat evil and wickedness, there is power and force and might that's needed. And it's not only needed, it, 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 you need to be willing to put it into place and put it into practice. And God is willing to do that, and he does. And so we see this happening. And, but the, the thing I want to point you to, look at this. And no one could stand against them. And that's a puzzling thought. What do you mean? These Jews who seem to be so weak that one individual could incite the king to write an edict to destroy them all and they stood powerless to do anything about it. But now it says, no one... Could stand against them. Why? For the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. God was doing something. God was doing something. God was calling together his kingdom, which is opposed to Satan's kingdom. God is calling together, his purpose is to defeat Satan's kingdom and to exalt his son in the process, and by doing that, to exalt all who trust in his son. I want you to notice in the previous chapter, chapter 8, verse 17, it says, And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. We understand that. They realize that now this wicked edict that had been signed is not going to be successful. Because the second edict gave them the authority to to, to defend themselves. But look what happens after that. And many from the peoples of the countries declared themselves Jews. For fear the Jews had fallen on them. You have to understand, there's 127 provinces in King Ahasuerus' command and his rule, and the Jews were one group of people who were there. Not well known, and obviously not respected, in fact hated. Haman shows the hatred that he had for the Jews. But now it says, many of the peoples, peoples is plural, you notice that? Many of the peoples, in other words, not just one group of people, but several, many groups of people. The Bible is describing people from different cultures, different tribes, different languages, people who look different, who who talk differently than each other. These are all part of people groups. And it says, many of those people groups declared themselves Jews. Why would they do that? It says, For fear of the Jews had fallen on them. What does this fear mean? It's like they were definitely afraid. It has something to do with that, but it also has to do with simply a honor and respect. When the Bible says that we ought to fear God, it's talking about how we ought to esteem him, how we ought to look at him, how we ought to honor him, and what we ought to do or how we ought to live our lives in regard to who he is. It's something that seems foreign in our culture today. People don't respect God, and they don't respect the things of God, but they ought to fear God. This fear is coming because God has worked in a powerful way through his people, and they're beginning to see who God is and how he's working. And they see this through a person that we're, we're going to get to in just a moment. But it says that they decide to declare themselves Jews. In other words, they, they like, hey, man, I'm with you all. I'm totally with y'all. I support you. I didn't know anything about you before, really had no honor or respect for you. But now I'm getting to know you and I support and I'm with you. They're saying we're one. We're brothers now. If anybody comes against you, they got to come against me. They declared themselves to be Jews. Now, this isn't just a, 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 a good true story. This is a picture of God building his kingdom. He is building his kingdom today. And many people, as they begin to hear and to see what God is doing, recognize they need to be on God's side. Because there's two sides. There's the losing side and there's God's side. And you need to realize that when you have opportunity to be on God's side, you better jump to it. Because God's side is going to win in the end. And so these people simply open their eyes and say, hey, I'm going to support. I'm going to be a part of this side. It's the winning side. God had begun to do something in a great way. I, I mentioned the timeline. You realize what happened? From month one to month three an amazing thing has happened. The Jews have gone from being despised and hardly known and very poorly respected to now being honored in a great way. Why were the Jews honored and respected? Remember we, we said in the book of Esther the name of the Lord is not even mentioned in all of the book, and God is working behind the scenes. He is showing that he is doing something that brings recognition, not just to the Jews, but recognition to him. Honor to him. People are, in essence, saying that God that you serve is an awesome God if he can take you from basically being an outcast and a slave and despised in this community to being raised up, this God is a God that we want to serve. God is working to build his kingdom. It's really not about his people so much as it is about him. In his people, you see a weak vessel In him you see the powerful force behind it. He is working. And God takes honor in doing that. He likes to take little things that are are not mighty at all so that we might see his great power. And so people are saying, if the Jews can be raised up and now lifted up, who is this God that is doing this? God is doing a work in in building his kingdom. You can imagine, whereas before this happened, nobody wanted to be a Jew. And people who were Jews would hardly admit it. Mordecai told Esther, when you come into the kingdom as a queen, don't tell King Ahasuerus who you are. And don't tell him your relationship to me, because he might figure it out. He said at the right time, let them know. But wait now, that time ain't right yet. You see, the Jews were despised. But God is doing a mighty work. He's doing this work for the sake of his name. For the sake of his glory. In verses 3 and 4, we see that. It says... No one could stand against them in verse 2, verse 3. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews. Here it is. For the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. God is getting his glory through this person. That he has exalted. Let me just tell you the truth straight out. Mordecai is a picture, tells us something, teaches us something about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus that he brings respect amongst his followers, amongst his people. It is God who uses his purposes to use his son to deliver his people, therefore exalting his son to be honored by everyone. The New Testament says it's coming a time where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that this Jesus is Lord. No one to be compared with him. Mordecai is simply a picture of that he comes from a low state low state and now he's been exalted to where now in in two short months from the first month to the third month and this edict is signed and people are rejoicing now this says the fear of Mordecai has fallen on all the people to where all the leaders all the officials in the government says hey take note of Mordecai He's something else. Now, is the object to exalt Mordecai for his his own uh, uh, glory? No. It is the God behind Mordecai who's doing this great work. God is using Mordecai to bring glory to himself in the same way that he brings Jesus to bring glory to himself. Mordecai is simply that picture of Jesus. Let's go on. Verse 4, for Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. Again, I go back to that timeline. How did this happen so quickly? How did he go from, from being threatened with death to be hanged by Haman to now being exalted and respected by everyone around? God is working to build his kingdom, and he's going to do that through his son. He's going to exalt his son. Psalm 2 says to all the the, the, the high people, all the officials, all the kings of the earth, he says, kiss the son lest he be angry. Psalm 2 is telling us, listen, it's this Jesus that God has exalted Talk to people on the street and they I talk to people in Islam and they say, you know, um, I respect Jesus, but God's appointed prophet is this prophet. I said, really? You think that's the case? Show me how he compares to Jesus. Show me one who has been raised from the dead. Show me one who said, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised up the third day, and then pulls it off. Show me one who God says, this is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. Honor him. God the Father speaks from heaven and says that about one and only his son, Jesus. Jesus Is the Savior. Jesus is the one and all. That's why we preach Christ today without shame, without apology. It is this Jesus and this Jesus alone who brings salvation and deliverance to his people. The God, the 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 Bible says in Acts chapter 4, there there is no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Other than Jesus. It is his name that provides salvation. It's his name that we proclaim. It is this Jesus. In verses 5 through 10, we see the victory that happens. The actual battle and the victory is told to us. And I want to look at a couple of things under this victory. The enemies are defeated starting at the capital in Susa. So in verse 5, it tells us how that happens. In verse 6, it says 500 men were killed in Susa the capital. And verse 7 says this, they also killed, and then it lists the ten sons of Haman. Verse 10, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jew, but they laid no hand on the plunder. They killed the sons of Haman. You would ask, now Haman's been hanged already. Why kill his sons? Isn't that a little bit of overkill? They didn't do anything wrong, did they? Why kill the sons, the ten sons of Haman? Well, as I mentioned before, the Bible makes it clear that Haman is the enemy of the Jews. Haman is a picture of Satan himself. And God is showing through this story how he's going to defeat the enemy of his people. He has defeated Haman already, and not only is he going to defeat the enemy, but he's going to tear the enemy's kingdom down. This is good news. This is good news. That means all those who set out against God's people, God's creation, can look forward to the destruction of every opposer. So why kill the ten sons of Haman? Because God is showing that not only is he going to destroy Satan, he's going to take down all of his kingdom. How does that symbolize his kingdom? You know, uh, well, when the king is in charge, after his, his rule, guess who takes charge under, after him? His sons. His sons. So sons is a picture of that whole rule in the animal world. It kind of goes like I, I love watching some of the some of the animal uh, uh, kingdom, and I always talk about this. You know, in the lion world, do you ever? It seems cruel to us, but that a male lion, when he goes to take on a pride, he will kill all the cubs that came from a previous male. he will destroy them all. he will destroy them all, and he'll start a new. <laughs> He'll start a new, uh, a new pride from his own seed. Why? <laughs> because those little cubs represent, as they grow up and mature, they're going to be next in charge. And he's saying, I ain't having none of that. I'm not having any threats to my rule. I'm going to destroy every threat. God is saying the same in terms of Satan's reign. I'm going to destroy Satan, and I'm going to destroy his whole kingdom. (laughs) Amen. But I ask another question because we see this in verses 11 through 16. Not only are Haman's ten sons killed, but they're hanged on the gallows after they're killed. Why is that? Why is that? Seems like a little bit of overkill, some some might say. (laughs) Here's the thing. The destruction of God's enemy is not done in secret. It's on display for all to witness. God is going to destroy Satan, and he's going to show it in such a way that all see and all know. As I said before, that's why every need will bow every tongue will confess that it's jesus who is lord whose team are you on the winning team or the one that's sure to be defeated now satan isn't defeated yet in fact he seems to be very much in control he's doing a lot of harm we see his influence all over the place you can't wake up a day without seeing the impact of satan and his kingdom in this world. Not only will you see it in others, you will feel it within yourself. You will fight against it in so many ways, and we will applaud and, 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 and thank God when that kingdom finally comes tumbling down. God's going to do that through his Son, The Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that caused Haman's ten sons to be destroyed and then to be hanged? It came from the word of Mordecai. (laughs) The edict that was signed by Mordecai is what caused the destruction, the death, and the end of all ten of Haman's sons. By his very word, he signed. Remember, he had the signet ring and he signed the edict that says the Jews can fight and destroy all who come against them. In Revelation, we're told that it's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ that destroys his enemy. As sends Satan to his final destruction, his final judgment and God doesn't just just annihilate him and put him into an end where he ceased to exist God says you're going to exist eternally but you're going to exist eternally in judgment and never have any chance any hope of escape from that God is thorough in his salvation God is thorough in his judgment and we ought to give him praise and glory for that one other thing we want to note it comes up three times at least and it draws our attention the first time it comes up here is in uh, verse 10 at the end of verse 10 let's just read verse 10 it says this the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hammedatha, the enemy of the Jews. It says that he killed the ten sons, but they laid no hand on the plunder. Don't worry about that. Our men are going to see to that. You know, it's one way to proclaim truth. That's not the way. To interrupt service in doing that. In fact, it's a picture of what Satan does. You look in... Acts, we see Paul encounter the same exact thing. A person who was possessed by a demon was following him and proclaiming, these are servants of the Most High King. And Paul said, shut her up. Why? Because he doesn't need Satan proclaiming him as speaking the truth. He's already speaking the truth. Those who speak the truth are in harmony With God's Holy Spirit and what he's doing. And so you know any disruption is something else. Something other than that. No matter how they sound. Going back to this. We see that the ten sons of Haman are destroyed. And it says at the end of that. And it kind of draws our attention. It says, verse 10. But they laid no hand on the plunder. In other words, when they killed the sons of Haman, they didn't take any of their stuff. They didn't need any of that stuff. They didn't want any of that stuff. Now go back to chapter 8, verse 11. It says, when, when the edict was issued, it gave them the authority to do that. Are you with me? In, in Esther chapter 8, verse 11, this is the edict that Mordecai had written. It says, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. So they had the authority to destroy all their enemies and to take their enemy stuff. By the way, that's the exact reverse of what the enemies were going to do to them. So they had authority, but it says in our chapter, chapter 9, the end of verse 10, it says they didn't do that. There's one case when they killed Haman's sons, they didn't take the plunder to themselves. And it happens again in, chapter, in the same chapter, verse 15. It says the Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the 14th day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Again, it points that out. Even though they had authority to take it, they didn't take it. Well, it happens again in this same chapter, verse 16. Now, the rest of the Jews who were in the king's province and also, also gathered to defend their lives, and they got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. So you see this three times and you go to thinking and asking a question, what does that mean? Or, or why did they not lay hands on the plunder? What does that teach us? Well, if you remember the story of Abraham, how he defended his own nephew, Lot, and won victory over those who had taken him captive and brought him back, and the kings of that land, who, who, whose lot land had, whose land, excuse me, Lot had lived in, uh, offered Abraham plunder. They offered him a reward. They said, we've, we've, "We've gotten victory over these kings, and so the stuff that's theirs is ours, and we offer you some of that. I want you to notice <laughs> what Abraham said. Turn to Genesis chapter 14, verse 21. Through 23 Genesis 14 21 through 23 and the king of Sodom said to Abraham now that ought to ring a bell right Sodom who's the king of Sodom well that city called Sodom along with the city called Gomorrah Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked cities they had sinned in gross ways before God and God was going to judge them. Verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. It's the same city that, that Lot, Abraham's nephew, had lived in. And so to save uh, a Lot, Abraham actually um, rescued the whole, the whole city. Rescued the king and, and all of his people. Had been taken captive. So in verse 21 and verse 22, but Abraham, sa- Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Abraham was making a point. He didn't need any of the spoil for God's blessing, especially spoil that was coming from a wicked king in a wicked culture. He didn't need any of it, and he didn't receive any of it. He's saying for God's purpose to flourish, God provides, and he doesn't need anything from anybody. That's a blessing. That's an encouragement. God is saying, you don't have to win the lottery. Amen. Break it down, right? You don't have to make it big at Pottawatomie. You need to trust God. And all the fancy flashy things that appeal to us that people may say you can have this if you do what I do. God says you don't need that. Now, may you suffer because you don't have all that stuff or, or may you may it be some consequence in your life? Yeah. Yeah. You may go without some of that. But Abraham was saying, look, king of Sodom, I don't need your stuff. In fact, I made I an made a, a agreement with God. I'm going to trust him for all of his provisions, and I don't need no stuff from you. I'm trusting God. And I think the fact that they didn't take plunder was saying, look, we have authority to take it, but we don't need it. We don't need it. We're trusting in God. I like the psalm that I associate with this. This is Psalm 121. It just speaks a message that I think is in line with what's going on here. Psalm 121 says this. In fact, we have songs that were written from this psalm that we sing today. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? The psalmist is asking a question, do I find hope in the hills and find my encouragement and my hope there? By the way, the hills were the foreign people, the, the people that were not part of the people of God. It's where they lived and it's where they worshiped and it's where they put their idols. They put them up high to be exalted on the hills so they could look to them and pray to them and find hope. The psalmist is saying, will I lift up my eyes to the hills? Then he asked the question, from where does my help come from? It ain't the hills. It's the one who makes hills. And my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I don't need the, 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 the plunder that comes from wickedness because I trust in the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In Esther and Mordecai's day, saying, look, we can take the plunder, but we don't need it. It's God who's delivered us. It's God who will keep us. It's God in whom we trust. We set our minds to walk in that faith of trusting God for what he provides. So they didn't have to take the plunder. They didn't need it they weren't going to be benefited by anybody else besides what the Lord intended and meant for them. As we see what we've looked at so far in this chapter, and this is as far as I'm going to go today, that God is building his kingdom. The way that God has worked behind the scenes has caused a stir among the people. And the fear of God's people have now grown among the people, among all the other people. And they, they begin to respect God's people. They are in awe of God's people. God uses that to bring them in awe of him. He's the one working behind the scenes. Mordecai is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who God uses to deliver his people but raises him that he might be honored and he receives that honor amongst all the people. God is raising his son to be honored. Are you honoring him in your life today? Have you given your life to trust in Christ Have you realized that all God's purpose is wrapped up in Christ? You know, if you go about your day and you're not even thinking about Christ, you're not even seeing how that pictures or factors into your whole life, you have missed the main point of all of life. You don't get it. You need to recognize that God's purpose is fulfilled in His Son the Lord Jesus Christ. So you need to pattern your life after Christ. It's the little things that people say that that shows that they're not patterned after Christ. I'll come to church if I can. It's like my second, third, or fourth thought. Not that all my life belongs to Christ and I honor him in all that I do. See, God's whole purpose in all of his creation is to exalt himself and he does that through his son. And if we miss that and aren't living out that point, our lives are totally separated from the purpose that God has. God's not pleased with that. He wants us to recognize who he is and put our lives back in line with who he is. So that you wake up in the morning and say, God, what's your purpose for me today? I thank you for giving me life and giving me eternal life. And I recognize that it comes through your son, Jesus. Help me honor him today. And how is going to church too big for me to do that? I got to have a day off. I got to go to the cleaners today. I got to go grocery shopping. I got to visit my nephew. I got to do this. I got to do that. Everything comes before honoring God. God says, pull your life in line with what his purpose is and what his plan is. Humble yourself before God and say, God, all of my life, every breath that I breathe belongs to you. I seek to honor you in that. We have to start there. Now, we know that, that you know, we're going to fall short in so many ways, but I, that has to be our goal. That has to be our attitude. We have to start there. Not, well, well, I ain't perfect, so if I don't go to church today, no big deal. Pitiful attitude. God says, honor him above all all because of what he's done because of what he's doing because of what he has in mind and plan for you and for us, because I am in Christ, I'm part of what God is doing as he growing his kingdom. I'm part of, of what he's doing when he exalts his son. I'm going to be there saying amen. I'm going to be there shouting hallelujah. When Christ is exalted, when every knee bows and every tongue confess, I'm going to be confessing from heaven, not hell. I'm going to be confessing on God's team, not opposed to him. I'm going to be confessing with those who are victorious, not those who have been defeated. And I'm going to thank God and say hallelujah then. So I might as well start doing it now. Get the benefit of it. I might as well recognize how God is working behind the scene in my life in so many ways that I wasn't even privy to. I didn't even realize how he was doing that until he brought me to himself and began to open my eyes that God has always marked my life. God has always guided my path. He does that for the purpose of bringing glory to him, not for bringing glory to myself. So he promoted Esther and made her queen, not just so she can dress up and look pretty, but so that she could fall in line with his glorious purpose. Because Esther submitted herself, because Mordecai fell in line and realized what God was doing and allowed himself to be used, countless hundreds of thousands of Jews, God's people, were delivered. We're going to get into this next week. But Mordecai and Esther says, hey, folks, this day is special. And we ought to celebrate. Basically, they're saying this. We ought to celebrate what God has done and never forget it. That's what we ought to do today in our lives. You realize that? God has opened your eyes. Is that your heart? Is that your attitude? Don't sit on it. Speak it out. Live it out. As of this very moment, let that be your heart driven by God to bring honor and glory to Him. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for opening our eyes, moving our hearts right now, Lord, so that we realize this life isn't about me, it's about you and you being honored. Your purpose in me is to honor you, to bring glory to you. May I submit to that purpose right now. We thank you for those whose hearts you're moving in right now. They might make it known. We can pray with them, connect with them, partner with them to further each one in their purpose to honor you and glorify you.